Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Men Talked, speaking about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. On today's show, I have a really good friend of mine by the name of Kami, Kami Bruchim. Kami and I were volunteer EMTs together in the New York City area. Kami, feel free to introduce yourself. Feel free to introduce yourself, your story, a journey, and we'll take it from there. Floor is yours. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Cami Bruchim. I currently live in New York. And uh, as what Daniel said, we both volunteered for a, a, as EMTs for Ambulance Corp in New York. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I am now. I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of experience that we had uh in 2020 um so me and my wife met in 2014 in new york uh, my wife is from uh, montreal canada um and i moved to the united states in 2003 um in hope for a better life as a um as a whole uh so we met in 2014 we ended up getting married in 2015 may of 2015 um, just about six months after, um, uh, sorry, three months after we got married, we ended up getting pregnant and, um, just, um, about 14 weeks into the pregnancy, um, that was, uh, due to circumstances, we were not able to visit the doctor's office and whatnot. So just about 13, 14 weeks into the pregnancy, we had our first doctor visit where they were not able to find any heartbeat. And then short while after that, when we went for actual ultrasound, um, they found out the embryo was empty and um, the best option we provided was just wait for it. It's just going to, uh, you're going to miscarry on, on your own. It's going to terminate itself. So uh, just a couple of weeks after that, uh, actually, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks, just maybe about a week, 10 days after that, um, the pre- pregnancy did try to terminate itself. Um, my wife did go through a miscarriage. Um, it was pretty traumatizing for her, traumatizing for me. Um, the biggest part was that we were in a hospital format when this happened, when she started having, uh, uh, heavy bleeding. And that's like, we, we were taken to the hospital. Actually, this was before. I was an EMT myself, so we did go into the hospital with the same volunteer uh, organization that I volunteer now. And um, in the hospital, we did go through a miscarriage. Uh, it was very tough, very, very tough. But um, at the same time, uh, a lot of times the way we were looking at it is now we know we are, you know, we could get pregnant. That's what everybody was keep telling us. Hey, um now at least you know you have no problems. You could get pregnant. You could try again. So that's what was constantly we heard from people. And um, 
we we took a lot of people's word and we said, oh, you're, you're right. Okay, so we could continue trying. Um, and we end up, uh, you know, we tried and tried, tried. Year one went by, year two went by. Year three went by, still nothing. Um, my wife continued going to different uh, doctor's appointments and doctor and specialists and uh, trying to get help from different organizations, different resources, trying to understand what's happening. And um, nobody, nobody seemed to be able to find out what's going on. Um, tests and this and that. Um, came, came a couple of years later. Um, they found some polyp in the uterus area where we had to do a DNC a couple of times for my wife to get the polyps out. And they said, oh, now you're good. Uh, the polyps are out. You're going to get pregnant. Nothing happened. Uh, we're going to get pregnant again. We continue going. Which, and then at some point, we end up changing specialists. We changed specialists and we went to a specialist in New York called the RMA. Uh, Reproductive Medical Association, I believe that's what it's, it's called. But if you Google RMA, you will see their their huge uh, infertility center. And um, we end up switching to this center to get some help, get some answers. Um, this was in 2019, uh, before the pandemic hit. Um, sorry, 2018. 2018, we ended up going to this, um, to this, um, center and throughout, um, our visit, um, throughout our, our, our visit with here, we, we end up giving all the medical histories to the, to the, to the center, but they, they, their thing was that they needed to do their own due diligence and make sure that all the findings that were done in the past are accurate and the findings are not, you know, they are valid. So during all these, um, they did discover that my wife has is growing polyps again. Um, and this time, um, and this time we had a, another DNC uh, with a different doctor in Brooklyn, with doctor, um, with a doctor from Maimonides Hospital. And, um, after that, when still things still didn't happen is when, uh, the RMA of New York or whatever the name, the full name of the organization is, they started looking into why not, nothing is happening. And during their testing, one of the doctors, um, uh, basically, um, thought, Let's go back even further than everything and see what, what, what is the full history here. Then we went back to the time where we had the miscarriage in the hospital setting, um, in, in the beginning of our marriage in 2015. And when we end up looking back, we, the doctor recognized, wait a minute, when you had that miscarriage, what happened? How did it go down? And, was it properly terminated? Were you properly treated post miscarriage? And once she started looking into all of that, she realized, wait a minute, it is very much possible that due to that miscarriage, um, and not having it done terminated properly, 
you are going to, you, you have some scar tissue. So they started looking into that and we hope that um, they were correct. Um, my wife had some scar tissues due to, or to, to the initial miscarriage, the first miscarriage we had. And um, she was going through treatments for that. Um, it was a little bit of a different procedure that she went through uh, in certain extent, but uh, the general idea of it was a more targeted BNC to get rid of um, uh, um, to get rid of scar tissues. Um, again, it's not a DNC, but it is um, in in that setting. Um, um, so I got a little bit distracted. So after the treatment was done, um, my wife tells me that there was some oral medication as well that that that, that treated the the scar tissues. Um, so the treatment was done. We end up having, uh, uh, we end up, um, thank God, we, were, we end up getting pregnant. Um, shortly after that, we, uh, oh, I forgot about the very important part here, that we did get some help from a friend in Israel doing some holistic medicine. Um, so during all of this, we did recognize that as much as a lot of these things might be medic, m- medically uh, interfering with us having uh, uh, getting pregnant, uh, there are other aspects to everyday life uh, and the desire of wanting to have a baby um, that also interfered with our situation. Uh, the stress of wanting to have a baby, the stress of every month uh, wanting to get pregnant. Um, the ups and downs of every month when the, the time of the month comes, the roller coaster that you go through, the up and down, okay, I'm late a day or two, and then uh, you get the hopes up and nothing happens. Um, the, we went through through that for a bit longer, and then we end up getting help from a friend in Israel who does holistic medicine um, to help us to overcome those challenges. And hopefully some of the medical aspect of it as well. Um, so shortly after that treatment, shortly after the treatment from uh, the scar tissues and all combined, um, we don't know how much of each, to be, to be honest, how much of each had an effect. But after all of that, we end up, um, we end up getting pregnant. Um, thank God we got pregnant. The pregnancy was, um, was normal. We went through everything. Uh, the first trimester, everything was great. Uh, no morning sickness. My wife was doing pretty well. It was a happy, uh, happy situation all around. Um, second trimester all went well. And then here we are in a third trimester in beginning of 2020. And the pandemic hits. Um, pandemic hits. Um, in March, I end up um, getting COVID. I end up getting um, a couple of days after contracting the virus. I end up getting really sick. 
end up going to the, uh, going, uh, you know, by the same volunteer organization I volunteered. They end up taking me in just because of the, my condition was, uh, getting worse. So they end up taking me uh, into the hospital, end up spending, uh, uh, three days in the hospital. Thank God I recovered. I bounced back really, um, really quick. And uh, back then it wasn't that they would keep you till you were actually like being the, the only criteria they had is if you could breathe on your own. And then you were discharged from the hospital. You were sent home. Uh, they did not want to, uh, to keep you there if they didn't have to. Their beds were full. Their hospitals were full. And the only reason I was able to get in um, was because of um, because of my situation deteriorating. And when it started getting better, then I okay, uh, you're done. This was in March of 2020. Um, well, the eighth month of pregnancy, um, and um, that was that was the first challenge we had throughout the entire pregnancy. Um, I, I, I won't even know if I call it a challenge, but it was the first um, situation we had throughout the pregnancy. Everything else was fine. Um, the bigger part of the situation was the doctors stopped seeing patients uh, if it was unnecessary, right? The doctor's offices were very cautious of who comes, who goes, how often you need to be seen and whatnot. So um my wife's doctor decided that, oh, she doesn't need to get any of the, her checkups since everything is going well with the pregnancy. She doesn't need any of the checkups. Um, usually the last couple of months, you go a little bit more often to um, check the baby status, the mom's status and all of that. But um, it ended up happening that um, the, the office closed down and she was not, um, the doctor decided, oh, she doesn't need to be seen um, every, uh, that that often, and uh, we will see you a week before your due date. Uh, no, because, sorry, past her due date. Right, right, right. It was a few days. Past. So the pass over that year was supposed to be our due date, the, the first days of Passover, um, and since um, when nothing happened on when the pa- when the holiday passed. We contacted the doctor ended up seeing us that morning in the office to check um, to check uh, the status of the baby and make sure everything is good. And that checkup is when they realized that the, the water level was um, not ideal. It was lower than what expected. And the doctor suggested going to the hospital for induction. Um, we, okay, um, you know, uh, we got a little bit uh, of a nervous situation here, but really nothing to be concerned. It's not an uncommon practice to go to get induced when your water level is not ideal. Uh, it's lower than usual. So you go in, you get in, you know, you get induced and then you follow the procedure from there on. The bigger challenge was the hospitals were very strict with who comes, who goes, how it goes, who's allowed to visit, who's not. And the only way, uh, the only, the only people who were, uh, allowed in the hospital were the patient. Um, there were no visitors allowed, um, unless somebody was admitted, uh, for, um, admitted for childbirth. Um, so 
we went, so we, we end up, the doctor said, okay, go home, get your bags, get everything ready, all that, all this and all that. Um, we end up uh, letting some family member know, hey guys, this is what's going on. We're going, in. this was on a Tuesday morning. Um, but, so we gathered everything. We end up getting to the hospital Tuesday, uh, Tuesday early afternoons. Um, I had to drop off my wife. She would, she had to go through the whole admission process before I get to be with her. And even though the doctor had called it in that we're going in for admission, it took a little bit longer um, since, you know, as uh, patients, as, uh, you know, uh, expecting mothers would come in and they were into, they were in labor and whatnot, they were to be seen before somebody was there to get induced. So uh, we waited for some hours in the, in the waiting area, why we and my wife was upstairs. I was waiting in the car. Um, and, um, they said the only way you, they we're going to let you up is once your wife is admitted. Um, so I had to wait for her to get admitted upstairs before I get upstairs. So she went through the whole process. We were in contact. Um, and at this point, um, at this point, we are approaching the second part of the holiday, which, you know, we are going into and we are not allowed to have our phone and our uh, electronic devices due to the holiday. Um, so I, I, you know, we were going into this situation hoping, hoping for the best. Not, nothing was wrong so far in the pregnancy. So we really were prepared to come home. Um, with a with a child going into the hospital um all expectation high and uh uh ready um ready for for ready to come home with it with a baby um she got admitted um i ended up getting getting a lot upstairs shortly before <clears throat> shortly before um the holiday starting and um the process started she got induced um it it was it was a long long uh, i want to say just about 24 hours um till till uh, uh till we were in it in it, okay i'm going to retract back a little bit it was a long 24 hours um the induction started no issues um per se uh, she got her dose of Pitocin, um, to start dilation and whatnot. Um, we went through that. Um, the contractions started, um, several hours later, uh, after, uh, the medication as well as, um, other interventions, um, we had. And, um, when the contractions got too, um, uh, too close and too intense. Uh, my wife ended up getting a, um, epidural treatment. Um, and when the epidural, um, uh, epidural started kicking in and the contractions got a little bit closer and whatnot, she was taken from the, what they call intake room to a, um, labor and delivery room. And, um, that's when they get, they, they did all the preparation for birth. Um, 
during this preparation, uh, things uh, seemed to be all right. A lot of things were, you know, she she did have a dose of epidural, so she was having certain symptoms that are associated with having epidurals. And um, everything everything was all right in the beginning. They had her on a monitor. They had the baby on a monitor. Um, my wife's heart rate, the baby's heart rate were all within normal range, normal limits. Um, nothing too, nothing too alarming. Um, and our contractions were getting closer and closer. At some point, um, my wife started having very intense shivering. Um, and temperature change, uh, in, in, uh, temperatures, um, uh, uh, change. Um, at some point she, um, she started telling me that, uh, she was cold. We asked for several blankets. We tried cover, I tried covering her with blankets as much as I could. She wasn't able to say, uh, per se, just warm up. Uh, when we brought it, I brought it to the nurse's attention. They tell me, "Oh, she got a she had epidural. It's normal. She got to get a chills. It's, a, it's okay." Um, okay, no problem. Just can I get a couple of heated blankets, uh, like uh, blankets, the warm blankets that they they keep in warmers in for such situations? She's like, "Sure." They run a few more blankets. At this point, um, my wife is is shivering and is also not she also is very sleepy between contractions she would she was pretty much fully sleep um she she had no like she wouldn't able to carry a conversation or not again i brought it up to the nurse's attention oh it's normal she had epidural it's normal okay um they are supposedly at this point still monitoring my wife and the baby's heart rate, right? The baby's heart rate is steady since the beginning of the whole labor process. And um, so is my wife's heart rate. Uh, pretty steady, goes up and down uh, during contraction, but nothing changes. Okay? Um, literally, um, the baby's heart rate is very, very steady at the same rate for hours, maybe one or two rate, uh, heartbeat up and down throughout the entire experience. Um, at some point, my wife started getting nauseous. She started getting nauseous and she asked, she's like, I'm about to throw up. And my wife is not somebody who throws up. She hates throwing up. She hates throw-ups. She hates it when other people throw up. And when that happened, I'm like, something is wrong. I don't know what it is. I know something is wrong. Okay. Bringing the nurse. Nurse. I have my wife's throwing up. Oh, it's normal. Normal is, is, is the epidural. Is the epidural. Is the epidural. She throws up the first time around. And it's all green. Her throw-up is green. They're like, oh, she hasn't eaten anything in a while, so uh, the discoloration is normal. I'm like, it's not, it's not back and forth, back and forth. Um, and throughout this process, what I found out later on is they're supposed to monitor her temperature 
um, on a regular basis. So as they keep taking her temperature and the temperature supposedly was normal based on whatever they, they got. Um, so she, again, she says, Kami, I need to throw up again. The second time she throws up, it's barely coming out and it's completely green. And she's not even able to keep herself up. She constantly losing consciousness at this point. That's when I started making a scene and the nurse comes, takes their temperature. She makes a face. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a temperature this time around, rectal. She takes a rectal temperature. And the next thing, while and while all this is going on, I look at her uh, her catheter bag, and um, I see brown in the catheter bag. I had no idea at the time what that means, no clue. Um, so the nurse takes a rectal temperature. All of a sudden, um, she runs out of the room. Next thing I know, the head nurse is coming in. I see another nurse coming in, another nurse coming in. This doctor comes in and that doctor comes in. And all of a sudden, we have 10 or 12 people, hospital staff, uh, storming into the room. My wife is in consciousness. I'm standing around freaking out. And they try, they, they, they look at the monitor. The baby's heart rate is, is, it, it's, it's at 150. The next second, they adjust the monitor on the stomach. And then they say, okay, the heart rate goes down to 110, 90, and then is dropping rapid. This is in a matter of a few seconds. They say, okay, we got to get an internal temperature. They try to get internal, um, internal ultrasound to get the baby's heart rate. They cannot find anything. This is again, this is a matter of a few seconds. Uh, my wife is in and out of consciousness at this point. The labor, the, the, the pain is getting very, very intense. Um, but she's not able to even talk or say anything. Um, meanwhile, I'm standing on the corner of a room, not used to being involved in the helping somebody else who's in distress um being that usually i'm in the middle of the chaos trying to help standing on a corner um looking over the whole whole situation and seeing people coming in and out and then in a matter of a couple of seconds once they are not able to confirm the baby's heart rate the next thing i know doctor comes in checks her goes oh she's nine centimeters dilated um, and they're like, okay, she's dilated, but we cannot get the heart rate. So emergency C-section. In a split second, my wife was out of the room into the, into the way to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the operation room. And I'm standing there holding a bag in my hand. Okay. So I'm going, so I'm following my wife into wherever she's going. They don't let me leave the room. You're going to stay here. You're going to wait. It's COVID. You're not allowed to leave the room. Blah, 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 blah. She's hysterical. I'm hysterical. For the half a second that she's able to stay awake. Um, and um, I, they, they, they tell me, you're not leaving the room. We're, come, we're going to come get you. We're going to give you clothes. We're going to tell you what to do. What, what's next? 
in the next few minutes, which felt like eternity. I had no idea what's going on. I know my wife was in operating room. So they finally takes them a few minutes, which on its own is a, it's, it's, it was a, you know, again, later on, you find out all these things when you try to look back and you have a, you have your head cleared. Um, a few minutes later, they come in, they gave me the, the emergent, the, the operation room gown and what I need to do, how I need to behave. And we started walking towards the operating room. Meanwhile, they had me grab all the belongings from this room and go put it in where we would be coming out of, uh, the operation room, which uh, the recovery room, um, after the operation. So we go in there. Um, we go into that we go we go there I finally I'm able to get in and um, by the time I get into the room my wife was already cut open there were several doctors trying to get the baby out and um, they tell me listen when you're walking through the room don't look that way. Don't look to your left. Don't touch anything um, on the uh, on this on the on on your on one side of the curtain. We're gonna tell you when you're gonna go. You're gonna go. The only thing you could touch is your wife, um, and you could stand over her head and hold her. And you're gonna have a chair. Sit down. And that's where you're gonna be. Don't touch anything. We go in there. There's blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. There's three or four doctors trying. To get a baby out, and um, I finally get to my wife. Um, talking to my wife, she's still in and out of consciousness. So, in a Jewish tradition, uh, we believe that uh, during childbirth, the mother's prayers are very, uh, very important, and God listens to everything a breathing mother. Um, ask for and praise for and um we prepare for this when 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 we uh, um when jewish people start expecting uh we prepare throughout the throughout the term um prepare you prepare prayers you prepare um the names of people who you want to pray for things that you want to pray for and you want to you want to have everybody in mind um, who are having challenges in life and so on and so forth. Um, so we did end up, so my wife had this list is like, make sure when you come into the room and we going through birth, um, you read me all these names. You tell me the things that I've written here because also during the pain of childbirth, you forget things. That's also known. So here I am holding her prayer book, holding this list of people's names and a list of things that we are looking, uh, we are praying for others, a list of things that we're praying for ourselves and for our uh, child. Um, and mind you, till this point, we have no idea what the gender of the baby is. In a matter of this few minutes, I read off my wife again in that in and out of consciousness, constantly ask, give me the names, give me the names, give me the things that we're praying for. Tell me the names of people we're praying for. So she's constantly praying during uh, times that she's able to. And um, 
I don't even know how long, how much later. Um, I hear them announcing the birth. However, I don't hear the baby. I am, um, I don't want to peek over the curtain. I don't want to touch anything. I saw the baby coming out. Um, I saw them be handing it over to a nurse, but I don't, I don't, there is no crying. There is no crying. I, 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 I am lost. I don't know what's happening. And all I feel is people's hands in my wife and trying to get the, to do this, to do that. They hand over the baby to the nurse and still no crying. I hear the procedure, the rubbing, the smacking and the, uh, clearing the nostrils and all of that. And I, I still no crying. At some point I say, I have to see. So I peek over, I see my child lifeless, changing colors, turning blue. And I see these 10, 12 nurses and doctors and pediatrics, intensive care, and everybody storming into the room trying to revive him. And to mind you, this moment still don't know the gender. And at some point, the guy, the, the doctor comes like, um, I'm like, I don't know the gender of the baby. They're like, you want to come see the baby? I'm like, no, I'm going to wait for my wife to wake up. We're going to find out the gender of the baby together. And my wife is still unconscious. She's still not coming back to it. The guy said, listen, you could tell your wife later, but I want to tell you the gender of the baby, having a baby boy. A lot of crying going on, a lot of prayer going on, and they tell me, hey, listen, you should come say hi to your baby, you should meet your baby. I'm like, I don't know, I don't want to. Um, I needed to stay on my wife's side. I didn't want to leave her, even though this was not leaving her from this room to the next room. This is literally a matter of five, ten feet max distance where they're keeping her, where they're trying to revive the baby. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? Why isn't he crying? And nobody's giving me any answers. I see nurses trying to resuscitate the baby. They're giving the baby CPR. Um, they are trying to... Um, they try manual respiration. They try to intubate the baby. They tried three or four times. They finally intubated the baby. They got the tube in, but they continue with, with a CPR, manual CPR to get his heart going. At that point, um, um, it's just about 20 minutes it takes for them to be able to get the heart rate back. They continue CPR for about 20 minutes. They get a heart rate back um, after 20 minutes, but he's still not breathing on his own. Um, uh, 
and uh, they tell me you should come meet your meet your son, meet your baby. I'm like, no, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for my wife. I'm gonna wait to so we could hold our child together and do this together. They're like, hey, listen, let's be realistic here. You don't know what's gonna happen. You want to come say hi to your child. You want to come say hi to your baby. Meet your baby. Give him some uh, empowering words. Tell him about you guys. Tell him about how much you love him. And talk to him. My wife was still unconscious. So they, uh, they walked me over to my baby boy. To our baby boy. And here it is, my... Eight pounds, six ounces, I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken. Some over eight pounds. Um, and standing over his lifeless body while they are breathing for him. Standing over his lifeless body and they're trying to breathe for him. He has a heart rate, but he's still not breathing on his own. Um, <clears throat> so, um, this goes on. I stand there for a few minutes, um, telling him how much we love him, telling him how much, how long we've been waiting for him. And we were certain that he's going to pull through. And we're going to go home together. They end up taking him to NECU, um, neonatal intensive care unit. And um, that's where they started treating him to see what's going on, what's happening and whatnot. They finally end up closing up my wife. Um, and um, now it's in, again, this is the time of COVID. They're trying to tell us, oh, you cannot stay with your wife. You got to go. And this is whatever. Went through back and forth of that for some time. And our child is staying in NICU. They're trying to figure out um, to bring him back to life. And um, it was hours of this going on. Then finally they close up my wife. They go, they send us to a room. We go back into a recovery room. My wife is finally waking up and here I am being a husband and having to disclose to my wife, telling her what happened. Why isn't our child with us? And what's going on? Standing over her bed, calling my eyeballs out, trying to pull it together, gather myself, tell her what's going on. Um, obviously, she's hysterical, I'm hysterical. We really want to know what's going on, and we just can't comprehend how 
how this happened and why it happened and what happened altogether. Um, um, so a little bit after that. Doctors come in trying to tell us what's going on with their child. They tell us how um, he's still not breathing on his own. They say how uh, they're not able to find any brain activity. And how there is a thing called a cold bed that they're keeping on, which keeps the skin cold so the heart could pump enough blood to the other organs in hopes of uh, regaining function in uh, major organs of the body. But they still cannot find any brain activity. Um, They tell us this, uh, that we are in the recovery room. And mind you, this is not, uh, I'm telling you this story in a matter of a few minutes, but we were waiting for hours. We were asking for hours for updates of what's going on, where is he, what's happening, who's in charge, who's not, what is going on, like hours and nothing going on. So finally, from the delivery recovery, when we were put into labor and recovery floor, where they gave us a room, um, again, they trying to tell me, oh, you're not a thing here, this and that. And, uh, we're fighting it greatly. I'm fighting it greatly because my wife's still not 100% going through such a massive procedure, massive blood loss. Um, and, um, and we're fighting it greatly. They end up putting us in a room. Where the room was big enough to have two beds, so I could stay with my wife. It was at the end, it was really not a room. It was it used to be a vacant room. It was a um, the staff cafeteria. They took all the cafeteria stuff out. They put a second bed in there for me, supposedly accommodating my need or whatever it was. Um, and in just a few hours, it took them a few hours to give us an update. At this point, is already. Um, It's already Thursday night. Um, and on Thursday night, when they come to give us an update, they tell us um, that there is no brain activity and uh, they still haven't found anything, any life, any signs of life. And um, they want to know what we are, what we are what what they should do and what we want them to do. If you want to continue, we should pull the plug. And again, in Judaism, we have a rule that you don't intervene with, um, you don't intervene with passing or uh, lifespan of some uh, a human life. And it's a very complicated um, 
situation when you have you have uh, a a person who has who's on a life support and you need to make a decision whether you want them to you want to continue you don't want to continue and there are organizations that you could try to call and get help Meanwhile, this is Thursday night. It's still a holiday in New York, so I could not kind, I could not call any of my, um, any of my family, any of my rabbis, or I don't know. They're not just my rabbis; they are my role models or father figure in my life to ask guidance. See what should I do? What what what's the right thing to do here? And um, there is nothing I could do. However, I realized that in Israel, uh, which is several hours ahead, just to be exact, just about seven hours ahead, um, they already the holiday is already over, and I'm able to call somebody. So I pick up the phone. I call my brother, who's in Israel. I break the news to him. That hey, this is what's going on, and I need help making life life and death decisions here. Can you please try to find out who I can call and whatnot? So he finds a couple of phone numbers for the couple of rabbis and uh, rabbis and organizations with this kind of experiences in New York. I make some calls. Obviously, it's a holiday, so the first attempt doesn't go through. I made several attempts to a uh, person uh, to a rabbi in Brooklyn who. Uh, specifically uh, guides guides people in very similar situation as this, and he uh, he knows the spiritual and the medical aspect of everything um, very well. And he finally called me back and um, I explained to him the situation. And they told us they guide us that you should stay away from making any decision. Um, of cutting the life support whatsoever. You should just let it be, and that's that. Um, let God handle the situation, however it might be, whichever way it might be. <clears throat> so we advise the doctors, hey, you guys going to continue doing what you got to do, and we're going to see where life takes us. Um, this happens and, um, we end up, um, we end up getting this guidance and we, um, um, we get, we get, um, we get our answers. We give the answers to the doctors. The doctors continue doing what they got to do. Um, we request to go see our baby. They're supposedly working on in the back end because of COVID. We cannot go. We cannot see the back. We cannot see the baby in a NICU. Um, it's not safe. It's not this. It's not that. Whole <laughs> lineup bureaucracy that we need to get over to get to see our boy. And all of this happened. And here comes Thursday night for us where the holiday is over. And, um, and they finally, they finally come to us. They say, yeah, it was like uh, somewhere in the middle of the night. I don't remember the exact time. Uh, okay. Um, 
your sun condition is not improving. Um, and uh, we have made arrangements that we're going to take you guys to see your, your son. Um, but you got to put on a gown, a mask, and a, and a face shield. And like it was a whole gear that we have to put on. My wife in a wheelchair, and uh, they took they took us basically through a back elevator. We exited the floor of a labor and delivery. We went through the main lobby of the hospital, which again, mind you, is completely closed. We went through the main lobby, it's empty of people. Go through another elevator, seal the staff to go to the NICU floor where some was. Uh, we got to see our son. He's still on life support. And uh, we're not able to hold him. We're able to touch him. We're not able to move him. Because it's connected to several different machines. Um, he's laying lifeless in that bed. With all these machines keeping him alive. Just a day old. He's glowing. He's so tall. He's so handsome. Head full of hair. Black, black hair. So soft, so cute. And the only thing keeping him alive are the machines that are hooked up there. Or I don't want to say the worst part, but the most challenging part of the whole situation was that I needed to be the rock. I needed to be the guy who keeps it together because my wife went through a bigger trauma. I needed to be, I needed to hold it in during the time my wife needed to let it out. And sometimes it was very, very difficult. I realized that I don't need to hold it in and be there for my wife. Took a while. But my wife was the one that told me, like, why why are you holding anything in? I'm like, no, I'm not holding anything in. She goes, I know you're hurting. I know it's painful. Please let it out. Be sad with me. Be there with me in the same stage as I am. And it was a relief knowing that my wife does, my wife understands that I'm also going through a massive trauma and I don't need to hold in my tears. I don't need to hold in my, my pain and I could let it out and at the same time be a support to her and I don't need to be this macho person that doesn't shed a tear and be there for her. Made the situation a little bit easier after realizing all of this. So we went through all of this in that room. We spent uh, just a few minutes with him. And uh, we asked some questions. Anything changed and what's happening with him? Anything improved? Anything got worse? And they told us, no, nothing changed. Everything is the same. Um, his organs are still the same. He's still not able to be on his own. We have maximized all the machineries and we wouldn't know what to do 
if nothing improves because this is the max the machine could go to accommodate. Um, so we moved on. Um, so we moved on, we went back into the room and here comes Friday. Um, we broke the news Thursday night to a lot of our family and friends and everybody. So everybody started prayer groups and Tehillim groups um, for the Jewish fellows. Um, and um, everybody started praying. Everybody started praying for a miracle. Um, we, 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 hundreds of thousands of people, not hundreds, thousands of people uh, joined prayer groups. Everybody said prayers. There were Facebook groups created. WhatsApp groups were created. Instagram posts. And um, and tons and tons of people got together to pray um, for full recovery of our baby boy and us being able to take him back home. Um, here comes Friday. And through all, all of this, my wife started having, um, they, my, my wife started having fever. She had fever for a bit, but uh, they expected to wait and then the fever would go down. However, her fever wouldn't break without medication and they're like, okay, so she has some sort of infection. Okay. So what kind of infection? They're like, we're going to run, run tests to find out what kind of, um, what, what she has. Running tests, this and that. Meanwhile, they say, "Oh, we're going to start her in a in a broad antibiotics, and um, she should start feeling better." Um, we knew she had allergic to certain antibiotics, so we gave them the name. Uh, they said, "Okay, no, don't worry. This is IV uh, IV antibiotic. It doesn't have any of that other one, so good to go." They gave her the antibiotic, they gave her the antibiotic via IV and, um, uh, just a few minutes later, my wife starts getting lethargic, start having, you know, heavy chest, having a hard time breathing. And, uh, the nurse comes in and is like, Oh, she has COVID. She has COVID. Now we're going to start treating for COVID. We brought hydroxychloroquine. Uh, they started doing another COVID test. She got COVID. She has COVID. She has COVID. She has COVID. Um, because the symptoms match COVID, right? Difficulty breathing, having, uh, uh, lethargia and, uh, dropping in, uh, oxygen status and all of that stuff. I'm like, guys, this is not, is not, is not COVID. COVID doesn't just hit. Um, or he is sitting here arguing with somebody who's seen COVID in and out, being in the hospital, taking, uh, being a volunteer EMT during the hype of COVID and seeing all sort of kind of cases of it. COVID doesn't appear out of nowhere. It doesn't just wait for you to, for, for when you're ready to hit you. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It goes gradually, makes you difficult, makes difficult, makes breathing difficult and so on and so forth. It's not how it goes. No, it's COVID. We're going to do a test. We're going to find out. I'm like, okay, nobody's listening. Here I am looking at my wife. My wife is, is getting very lethargic. 
And at some point, for some reason, my training kicked in. I'm like, wait a minute, let me just check something. I I know she has some wheezing in the, in the lungs based on what they told me, the nurse told me, but let me check her body. I pulled down my wife's gown to look at her chest and she has a rash all over the place. I look at her neck and she's red all over her neck also. Red, not rash. She had a I call back in the nurse. I'm like, nurse, this is an allergic reaction. Nurse is like, no, it's COVID. I start yelling. I start screaming. I'm like, this is allergic reaction. Check this. Look at this redness here. Look at this redness there. Look at the bumps that are creating. She's having allergic reaction. Finally, after making a scene, after a couple of minutes, they finally agree. They give her uh, Benadryl uh, via IV. They disconnected the antibiotic. And that's how my wife was saved from a disaster situation. Again, a matter of 24 hours at the hospital. Um, and um, immediately after the administration of the Benadryl and and when not, thank God she was not anaphylaxis, but she came back to life. The rashes started a few minutes to go away, but she was able to breathe easier. She was able to be to stay awake. Um, and she had a little bit of a recollection of what happened, but because she was asleep, but I told her what's happening. That this was our Friday challenge. And as day goes by, when Friday, beginning up or messages from everybody um, and trying to reach out, trying to help out, trying to ask what's going on um, and constantly, constantly asking for updates of what's going on with the baby boy, but um, no answers. They don't know. They have to ask this guy. They have to ask that, that guy. Bureaucracy and up and down. It's finally taking him give us an update. Unfortunately, he was, he started having multi, multi-organ failure. Um, his condition was not improving. And they told us that if we want to get to hold our child, uh, this was it. We should get ourselves together, put on our gown, and they will take us down to Spend some time. Spend some time and say goodbye. So we end up getting yawning up. End up again taking us out of the back elevator, going into hotel, uh, restaurant, um, hospital lobby, empty, dark. Going into his room. And this time, they picked him out of his, has out of his cube, still attached to the machines, and um, hand him to us. They're like, okay, we just make sure this pipe doesn't move, that pipe doesn't move, and we got to hold him. We got to hug him. We got to 
Tell him how much we loved him. How much he meant to us. How much he has brought people together in unity to pray for our life. And uh, no matter what what the outcome is, he will always be our firstborn boy and he will always remain in our heart. And uh, yeah, my wife got to hold him, I got to hold him. We cried all three of us together for some time. The nurses, the doctors, they all joined into the prayer and they cried with us, which was kind of touching, to be honest. And um, you were, we, we said it, they put him back. Um, so we went back to our room as usual, trying to continue our day. Pain gets heavier and heavier. We end up contacting. Um, when this happened, they told us to start making arrangements. So we tried to make arrangements. Um, and they said the earliest anybody could make it and you have to first confirm that he passes and then you have to call us back. And the earliest they would be able to bury our child was the following Wednesday. This is on a Friday that we are making calls. And they told us they could come Wednesday, the earliest. This is after three or four places that we've called. And um, I finally reached out to a couple of friends from the same organization, Hatsala, and asked for some help. Um, help came together. Um, and they said, if you need services, just let us know. We'll make arrangements for it and make sure that services get done right away. And this is while um, I, 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 we have to make all these arrangements while our child still alive just because of the circumstances um friday comes um it's sabbath again so we end up lighting a candle by the, by the hospital window small little tea lights we prayed we cried and then we smiled we will come sabbath with open arms and um, friends had made food and dropped off stuff for us to be able to eat some food, soup, whatnot. My wife couldn't eat, I couldn't eat, but we still needed to sustain ourselves. So we ended up um, saying the uh, Kiddush, saying the prayers over wine for the upcoming Sabbath. And we sang our we sang our Sabbath welcoming songs that we do every Friday night. We said our prayers the way we would. We began eating. Um, again, we couldn't eat much, so after a short while, we started just talking. Me and my wife started. I had 
brought in playing cards to keep on my non-keypoint. I asked a friend to put it in one of the packages. So I started playing some cards with my wife, trying to keep our minds off of what's happening, what's going down. Um, an hour or so after Sabbath started, um, the main doctor from the intensive care comes to our room and informs us just as we were lighting just about an hour or so ago. Our baby boy had departed and passed away and joined his creator. And um, basically the time frame was just before candle lighting time of Sabbath. And they tried and he wasn't, he had multiple organ failure and his kidneys started failing the nice liver and then his lungs and then finally his heart came in. And he passed away. Here we are. Um, here we are going through Sabbath. Again, we still can't call anybody, let anybody know. So everybody's in a stage where they're praying, where they are, um, where they're in prayers, asking for miracle from God. And there's hundreds of groups going on, hundreds and thousands of people's people are praying. And um, here we are with a loss of life, sitting in a room, not being able to talk to anybody, do anything. And all we had, it was just, I had my wife and my wife had me. So here comes uh, Saturday evening. Finally, they are able to switch, switch my wife's antibiotics throughout Sabbath a couple of times. They finally get her fever to stop. So they could discharge us. And um, as soon as Sabbath comes out, I called back the friends who said, if you need arrangements, call us. And made arrangements for the body to be picked up immediately. Um, the doctors worked on the paperwork. They discharged us. Um, they brought us a box with certain belonging of his that he was wearing during his stay in the hospital. They had a hat. And they gave us a lock of his hair, uh, his handprint, footprint. And when they gave us the box, we opened the box and... There were two letters, uh, one letter or two. There was one letter in there was written by nurses from his unit that they told us that how our interaction with our son had brought them all into caring for him so much during his short stay and how they all cared for him like it was their own child. And one of the nurses, the head nurse that was treating him, she wrote that he said, when I saw you guys, I promised that your son wouldn't pass 
alone. So I made sure during his last minute, he was in my arms and I held him. He was not alone. So our son didn't pass away by himself. He had his support, even though his mom and dad wasn't there. Passed away peacefully. And uh, we ended up getting discharged Saturday evening going home. That Saturday evening was also to be end of Passover. So all our stuff in the apartment is a Passover stuff. We need to now clean up. We have no food. We have nothing to eat. We used to live in a building. Uh, we had a lot of friends in that building. Uh, and when we came home, Uh, friends came over, uh, a couple of friends came over to help us clean the apartment, get rid of the Passover stuff, making us food, keeping us company until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And that was the first day of the experience after our son passing. It was a rough few days. My wife was in a lot of pain. I needed to take care of her. I needed to stay home. Uh, thank God we had a lot of, I mean, my wife had a lot of support. Everybody was coming over and everybody was trying to help out. However, I, you have to remember again, it was COVID time. People would come in, they wouldn't want to stay. It was, it was in a hype of COVID where people would go around with double masks and gloves and everybody was overcautious about it. And these friends would sacrifice everything. They would come over and they would try to help out and try to um, help with this situation. And while everybody's coming, everybody's talking to my wife and he got understanding. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm all right. Always being the guy who's always okay, always all right. Um, and again, my wife constantly had to remind me, you don't have to hold it in in order for you to be a good support to me, to be a good support to, um, to be there for us. The biggest challenge was that everybody would come over, everybody is supporting her. Not that they don't want to support me, but I felt bad asking for support. I felt terrible asking for people's help. I felt people, I felt inclined to make my wife is comfortable. My wife has something to eat. My wife has everything that she needs. And I, Didn't need anything. Other than I, 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 I'm built different. I'm supposed to be, uh, I'm supposed to be the rock. I'm supposed to move on from things. And the tragedy happens. You're supposed to learn from it and move on. And that's, that's what it's been the mentality, right? 
And little by little, as days went by, I just realized I can't. I can't. I, if I continued pouring it in, I will get hurt. I will go into a massive depression. And I've seen it in others. And uh, it's not something that I wanted to deal with. And decided that um, I need to get help. So I ended up reaching out to a couple of um couple of role models and people in my life um to get help to make sure I talk about it to make sure that um that I address it make sure that I don't continue pouring it in <sighs> talking about it helped a lot um it took us a little bit of time um, to know what we wanted to do in his um, in his name in his honor, <clears throat> we explored many options, opening different nonprofit organizations, doing different things. But everything we wanted to do was something that somebody had already gone through and somebody had already uh, thought about and put it together and made it happen. And uh, we finally found a meaningful thing for us, which is writing a, a uh, Sefer Torah, uh, writing an Old Testament on a parchment. Uh, it's uh, something that a lot of people do when they uh, when they want to honor uh, people who have departed from 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 this world. Um, and we decided to do that uh, that project. When that project came together. It took a little bit of time um, from the decision from the day we made the decision to the day that we end up completing it and uh, turning it into a um, into a I don't even know what to call it to, to a whole fundraising campaign for people to join into the good deed. Um, it was it was a it was. I don't want to say good time, but it was better times where we had um, learned how to deal with the trauma. We had to learn how to um, talk about it in in in, in many many aspects. Uh, um, learn how to deal with it, making sure that we give support to the others who went through a similar situation, and um, we end up. Uh, doing a, uh, doing a fundraising campaign um, and uh, making donations to different organizations uh, to to a place where um, we felt very connected to and um, over over thousand eleven hundred people um, came together with all their donations to help supporting the uh, fundraising campaign for this organization and this place that we were donating money to. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> uh, throughout the time we were getting letters in the mail, we were getting, uh, uh, phone calls, text messages from people who we had no idea who they were. They gave us, um, uh, word of encouragement. They gave us, uh, a big quote unquote thumbs up, uh, for the way we have turned things around and we tried to turn something negative into a positive thing into this world. And, um, 
He turned it into something amazing, just the way he was during his short period that he was with us in this world, brought many people together, thousands of people together in unified prayers. And uh, that's how we dealt with, uh, with the trauma to this day, as you guys could hear. Um, I get very emotional talking about it. I no longer hold it in. Um, we have a picture of, um, so fast forward a bit. Um, we got pregnant, um, several months after the loss of our baby boy. And just about six months ago, we had a, a beautiful baby girl. And, um, when she was born, when we were doing a newborn photo shoot, we decided that we want to do a bunch of pictures of her with the belongings of her brother. Um, the sonogram picture, his hair lock with his hat, with his hospital tag. Um, so there is a picture of our baby girl with our baby boy together in one picture. And uh, we decided that um, we doing this because, first of all, we don't want to. We don't want him to be forgotten. We want her, his sister, to know that um, he was with us. He, she had a brother. He was not for a long time, and we wanted to have a memory of it live in our heart. And when our baby was born and we end up setting up her room, we end up putting up a picture, that particular picture of, uh, from her photo shoot in her room. And we had visitors the other week and they look at this picture and they start crying, right? And they're like, this is not hard for you to look at this picture every single day, knowing that this is what happened. And our our answer, both of us, for myself and my wife, is the same. Um, Yes, it's painful, but it's joyous to know that we have overcome the challenge, that he was who he was, and it was part of our life, life experience, and we feel that it is important to keep him around, to keep us in check, not to go too deep in it and be sad about it for a long time, but it's good to know that where we were and where we are now, to count the blessings that we have earned since the experience has happened, and uh, not to forget that you continue when you are down, when you need help. It's okay. It's all right to ask for help. And it's okay um, not to be the mantra guy all the time. That's a reminder for me. Um, I could cry and be the rock for my wife. I could be sad and be the rock for my wife. I could... uh, I could be... I could be the I, I could be everything everybody needs, but at the same time care for myself as well. 
I should not neglect myself. I should not neglect uh, my own needs in order to accommodate others. And um, with that picture in, in our baby's room, we remind ourselves of, I remind myself of that. And my wife has her own challenges and her own beliefs of why she has, she she likes that picture and she would love to. Um, she loves to look at it. And um, that is our story. Wow, Cami. I, I honestly, I have no words. Your story is, is an, uh, what a journey. I mean, triumphs, ups and downs. And the fact that you're able to, to be there and support, support your wife through this whole process and, and create this sense of community, the advice you give to all the men out there who, who have gone through this to have hope, to have, you know, faith and, and, trust the process i mean these are powerful words you said so you are um thank you you should know you're not alone like like you said you know this happens happens a ton the statistics are one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage one in eight couples struggle with infertility one in 160 births end in a stillbirth and one in a thousand babies die uh, of SIDS a year. So um, you're not alone in this. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I know a lot of people find this inspiring in the journey. And I really give you a lot of credit for for being there for your wife Thank and you. to standing there and crying with her, and just just being that support and sharing your story and, and continue continuing to grow and inspire people from it. I hope I could do that as well. Thank you for um, allowing me to share. Um, to be honest, this is not the first platform we've shared. Uh, we've done this in several different magazines, newspapers, just for this specific reason that people should recognize that they are not alone. For whoever is listening, know it for a fact you're not alone. Whatever your experience is, however your experience is, Somebody has gone through it. Somebody has gone through it even worse. And um, you will be surprised. You will be surprised how um, when you share yours, you hear about others. So throughout this journey um, of us sharing with others, I tell you, um, people who you would not even think come up to us is like, hey, listen, I want you to know I went through I went through uh, a, a sad situation, miscarriage, and this and that just last year, just last month, just last pregnancy, or my first pregnancy was like this, and I would never I never thought anybody in the community had gone through it, so I didn't I didn't share. I kept it to myself, I kept pouring it in, and that is the last thing one should do should try to bury it inside of them because it will hurt more. Share it. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your family members. Talk to somebody. It is as that is as important um, as you eating every day. It is as important 
as you taking care of yourself in every aspect or going to work or doing something that a person does on a daily basis. It is beyond important for you to seek help. It is important that to acknowledge that you're not alone in this experience. And the more you, t- the more you talk about it to people who care for you, the more you realize that, that there are, p- there are, there are a ton of people out there that they care. There are a ton of people out there who want to help you. There are a ton of people out there who went through a similar situation and they could give you guidance. What should your, you change your focus on? What should you turn your focus on to be able to move on from the, uh, the tragedy to move on from this stage and, um, look forward to the better things that life has to offer? 1000%. And those words are, are really, really wise. And to all the men out there, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out. Do not hesitate to ask questions, to ask for help, to cry, to laugh. It's all part of the process, the journey, and we have to be there for one another. So if Cami could be any help, you know, for you, please, uh, please, please, please. Reach, feel free to reach out to him. If you want to meet up with him, you want to speak to him. Um, he's, lo- he's located in Long Island in the New York area. We are here for you. Thanks again, Cami. Absolutely. 100%. Guys, um, whoever is listening, please, um, uh, I, I will, I promise you as busy as, uh, day to day life could get, I promise I will make time to hear your story, to be able to help in any way, shape, or form I can. Do not hesitate to reach out. Um, I don't know how this is going to be aired, but if um, my contact gets shared in any way, shape, or form, feel free to share it with somebody who you think might be able to use this help, and I will make my make the best efforts um, to help out in any way I can. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.